Hello, and welcome back in to another edition of Going for Two. This is not the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. I am Brian Fisher. I am the managing editor of the D1 Ticker Empire, as my uh, friend and colleague there, Matt Brown, used to likes to say to open this show. He he is obviously feeling under the weather. If if you followed him at all on social media, he is uh, doing a little bit better. Uh, not not good enough in terms of uh, raising to uh, kind of podcast quality voice. Uh, there we, we kind of thought. Potentially, that that was going to be the case, so we kind of delayed uh, recording uh, another day, which actually turned out uh, pretty well because we can maybe uh, touch a little bit on the UC Regents who, who met a little bit later. On I, I would be remiss though if I didn't kind of start off the show saying that uh, you know it, it's been a tough week across you know not only college athletics but college football, especially um, ton of of great tributes uh, to to Mike Leach uh, who, who tragically passed away at the age of sixty one. Uh, on on Monday when that was announced, and um, at a loss at a loss for words, uh, you know, just uh, truly a, a seminal figure in terms of college athletic or college football uh, these last uh, really two decades. Um, you you really cannot go uh, anywhere without writing you know Mike Leach's name into into the fabric uh, of the game, and um, you know a lot of a lot of the quirks and and uh, unique personalities um, you know owe a lot to Mike and uh, he he was not only a terrific ball coach you know to, to win games at, at places like Pullman Washington and in Lubbock Texas and uh, Starkville Mississippi but and and win you know at, at a nearly 60 percent uh, clip um, but you know he he really did revolutionize the game of football uh, far beyond just just college football you know he, he's you know, he's got a former quarterback of his in Cliff Kingsbury in the NFL. Obviously, a lot of quarterbacks have made that transition now. You know, you're seeing a lot of those concepts, concepts that, frankly, you know, I I go back to his early days at Texas Tech there when when I was in in high school in Texas. You know, we we were a team that used to run the wing T and and kind of switched, saw the success there. Uh, you know, early in those early days that the Red Raiders had. Um, Yes, there's contributing factors like, you know, the state seven on seven scene that, uh, you know, really uh, kind of blew up in, in those early 2000s, um, you know, when he was there in Lubbock. But, um, you know, we, we were running a lot of those air raid concepts, you know, we were running those stick routes and, and running mesh and all that stuff. And, you know, a lot of that comes not only from high school coaches trying to copy what Mike was doing there uh, with the Red Raiders, but, um, you know, his influence, I think, on the game. Not only still felt today, but I think will continue to be felt um, for uh, you know a lot of the the coaches that are has, having success now. You know you you have a coach at USC, you have a coach in the in the NFL in, in Cliff Kingsbury. You have um, you know just uh, a lot of air raid coaches out there. Yes, they have their variations, and you know a lot more. A lot of them uh, you know tend to implement uh, a lot more of the run game uh, compared to kind of the, the straight vanilla. Uh, air raid that uh, Mike used to implement, and uh, it's just um, you know a bit of a gut punch. You know, I, I think anybody that uh, covered college football for for a long time probably has uh, at least one, if if not several, uh, Mike Leach stories. Um, you know, whether it's media days, whether it's him calling you on on his walk to work, whether it's uh, calling him, you know, calling you calling you late at night. Um, you know, he, he was certainly a a very Unique character and somebody that uh, I think will will be truly missed uh, by college football fans, uh, whether they're rivals or not. Um, you know, I think everybody um, you know appreciates uh, what the pirate was able to do. So my thoughts not only with with the Mississippi State family, but uh, certainly Sharon and, and his kids and his family. Um, you know, just a tragic loss uh, there. And then obviously even before that, uh, over the weekend, uh, learning about um, you know the news that uh, Grant Wall had, had, had tragically passed away at the World Cup. Uh, uh, another bit of a gut punch. You know, I, I think people that have Listen to the show for a while. Understand that I'm, I'm a big soccer fan. Uh, you know, I, I love the sport, love covering the sport. 
And uh, a lot of that, it, you know, kind of comes down to you know getting uh, getting the gospel, so to speak, from from Grant Wall and and his terrific uh, work at Sports Illustrated, and, and certainly now, um, you know, when when he was writing for his, his own Substack site, um, was was literally just uh, listening to his podcast, uh, you know, from from Vegas uh, there when when I, when I heard the news, and so a bit of a gut punch from from that. Uh, certainly a very well respected uh, you know member of the journalism community, and I think you know. Following a lot of the writers, hearing hearing a lot of the stories, you know, just just the way he was able to help people, the way he was able to help the game, um, you know, was was uh, pretty impressive, and, and his uh, his impact will certainly be lost, and especially um, not only that we're kind of in the middle of a World Cup cycle, but uh, with that cup coming back to uh, to North America, you know, I think that was just uh, just a just a tragic loss, and uh, certainly my thoughts for for his wife Celine and, and everybody that uh, that knew Grant. So uh, a bit a bit of a bummer of, of a weekend, but uh, we will transition a little bit. There's no easy way uh, to kind of come out of that, but uh, I do want to mention before uh, we get into the, a bit of a mailbag, uh, where we got some questions from users on Twitter, a few, a few other sources. Uh, I got a couple. Of, we're, we're not going to keep it too long just because I'm flying solo on this, and 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 uh, got to do a couple of other things. At, at the end of the day, though, uh, you know, if if you do want to join the ranks of of our uh, home field apparel uh, Illuminati, uh, like Matt and I seem to be. Um, you know, I, I got back from Vegas actually last week and there's a big old home field p- apparel package waiting on me. And I, I, I want to say my wife already took one of the sweatshirts. So, um, you know, it, it is definitely, uh, approved in terms of, uh, the family members that make great gifts. I, I got a couple gifts for, for family members as well. Hopefully they are not listening to this here podcast, but, uh, if, if you want to save 15% off your first order, if you missed that black Friday sale of a couple weeks ago, uh, you can still save 15% on your first order. Use that promo code extra points. Always a good way uh, to not only uh, get some some great and very soft collegiate collegiately licensed uh, apparel, but uh, you're, you're going to look uh, pretty pretty good whether you're in an airport during this busy holiday travel season or whether you're just uh, trying to stay warm uh, as as the, as the temp- temperatures are dipping, especially out west um, in, in terms of the cold and all the weather that's happening. Uh, home field apparel is is one of the best ways to to do that. So uh, be sure to use that promo code extra points and, and you can save fifteen percent off your first order. Go ahead and tell them, uh, you know, Matt and Brian sent you. Uh, without for th- further ado, I, d- I do want to kind of transition a little bit into some of these questions that we got. I, 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 there was a couple that were kind of touching on the UC Board of Regents and, and that whole mess, I guess you could say, uh, that, that ended up happening on, on Wednesday, uh, I guess, afternoon. And, uh, you know, they, they did approve the move for UCLA to join the Big Ten. There was a bit of a, as they term it, Berkeley tax. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how you would kind of, um, you know, label it, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what the, uh, kind of colloquial, uh, version of events it's going to be, they said two to $10 million that the language itself, I, I am no lawyer. I, I do tend to play one on, on Twitter. It seems like uh, everybody in, in college athletics does have to have a law degree to kind of understand some of these things. And it did seem like the language language was a little bit vague in terms of what they actually said for UCLA to actually pay uh, Cal Berkeley in terms of whether it's two to ten million dollars per year, whether it's two to ten million dollars as a one-time payment uh, to kind of help improve that student-athlete experience done after the Pac-12 media rights deals uh, are done, which is expected to happen in early 2023. I, I guess we're probably going to probably revisit that question and get some some clarity uh, surrounding that uh, moving forward. But um, you know what. UCLA, USC obviously was 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 going no matter what, but UCLA going to the Big Ten. Some some statements from Kevin Warren from from uh, UCLA as well, kind of reaffirming that on Wednesday afternoon and, and Wednesday evening. So big times there ahead in Westwood. 
want to get into some of the other questions, though. Uh, Dan Klobuchar, writers have suggested offering an IL deals as a way to prevent some bowl opt-outs. Is there actually enough of a return for additional spending from sponsors, assuming 5 to 10K per player? Well, uh, I actually wrote a, a bit of a column uh, on, on Fox Sports on Monday kind of about the bowl season, and, and this being the, a bit of the last kind of the last of its breed, I guess you would say, because I, th- I think going into next year, NIL will, will be a bit of a more bit more of a factor in, in terms of what the bowl outlook is looking at. You know, the the opportunity to where we're, we're seeing guys jump to the NFL, whether they're in the transfer portal, you know, rosters are a mess. Ordered a big head coach you uh, episode with uh, with Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, this week ab- about you know coaching in bowl games and some of the issues and that sort of thing, it, it it's going to be uh, you know I, I think a much more active nil market for for bowl sponsors. I, I think there's still some confusion over the language and and obviously they're a little bit skittish with their lawyers and and the nil guidance that the NCAA has offered. But I I think you're going to probably see uh, a little bit more of a Increased offering from from bowls, um, you know, next year to keep some of those star players around at least for their game. Yeah, I I I, I think the the assuming uh, five to ten k per player uh, part of Dan's question, a little bit of a misnomer. Obviously, you know, there there's always been the bowl gifts that they've given out. You know, there, there's a couple thousand dollars, um, you know, per player between that. You got hotel rooms, all that sort of stuff. You know, these bowls are are spending a, a decent chunk of change. You know, to get players there and, and playing in their bowl games and, and making it a good experience. I, I, I can start to see that kind of trailing off a little bit. There's some savings there that can go more towards the players. You don't have to pay everybody. You're, you're not going to necessarily, if you're a bowl sponsor, which I think is ultimately where the NIL component is going to come into play with these games going forward, you don't have to pay the backup left tackle. Fifteen grand to play in in in, in the guaranteed rate bowl, uh, you know, what, or whatever it might be, uh, sponsorship. You know, like that that does not necessarily have to happen. You you're looking at really five to ten players per roster. Now, do you want to make sure everybody gets something? Sure, absolutely. You, you want to kind of have, uh, you know, that that uh, uh, equity going both ways. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to be, a, I think, a, a little bit different looking uh, postseason moving forward. And 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 we'll, we'll kind of see where it goes from there. But, uh, you know, in terms of uh, 5 to 10K per player, I, I think that it's probably going to be a little bit on the low end for, for some. Uh, you know, your, your Caleb Williams or whatnot you can build a, a decent marketing campaign, not just for your bowl game, but uh, kind of beyond that as well. You know, going into selling tickets, all that sort of things that, uh, you know, goes into producing some of these bowl games. Um, you know, you, I, it, it's not going to be serious chunks of change, but um, yeah, I think there there can be a return on investment. Obviously, you're talking about if you have some of those marquee players, you're going to get better matchups. You're going to get um, uh, more interesting, um, you know, matchups on the field. You're you're going to get uh, just more interest. Uh, I think generally from from college football fans, from NFL fans that might want to see who's that next star quarterback, who who could be that top left tackle, who could be that pass rusher. Uh, that's that's going to be a first round pick, especially if they're getting you know maybe there's it's 25 to 30k probably think you know it's it's not that big of a deal i mean we kind of saw these last couple of cycles even if you do end up getting um uh you know hurt in, in some of these bowl games it's it, the nfl not really holding it against you too much yeah yeah you might be able to drop a couple of spots but you can still end up making that back through things like it like in a, nil and, and and other deals so i i think we're going to see 
some return certainly for for these bulls for for a lot of these these kids and uh, i think it is going to make the, the bull experience a little bit different i think moving forward as well a lot of calendar changes to the postseason what does that entail or we're probably going to have a, a lot more bull games on uh during the you know mid-afternoon period just because there's not a whole lot of a lot of areas where uh you know they can go uh just in terms of the limitations that uh, we're, we're going to see in that month of december once we get that 12 team playoff because none of the especially mid to lower tier bowl games want to compete with those first round games they don't want to pe- compete with those quarterfinals and then you add the nfl component onto it especially on saturdays in late december so a lot going on in terms of that calendar. I think that uh, is probably going to be the big talking point after January, after we kind of get past the transformation committee and, and all the NCAA changes and uh, really past uh, the, this current college football playoff season as, as we get to into the final year of uh, just having four teams. So a lot of structural changes I, I think are, are going to be explored and NIL and, and bull games is going to be one of them. I, I think uh, talking with a couple of uh, bull directors and, and, and folks connected to that industry, that seems to be... You know they're 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 approaching it with a little bit of apprehension this year. I think you will see some some activations. Um, you know that that will happen with players and nil uh, this year, but I think it's really going to take off next year. And you know, truthfully, you know some of the softness in in the advertising market probably contributing to that. You know, you know companies are com- cutting back a little bit on their marketing spend. Maybe not so next year. You know, certainly if if the economy is is able to improve. So keep that in the back of your mind. A great great question there, and, and I think. It, uh, you know, one that a lot of people are asking, uh, especially given uh, some of these previously appealing uh, bowl game matchups that uh, we, we started to see have kind of taken a hit between, uh, you know, players transferring, players getting hurt, players going to the NFL. I mean, uh, I, I think getting college football masochist is, is definitely tuning in to that Music City Bowl for, for some of those reasons, uh, given that uh, t- Kentucky and Iowa, not uh, great offenses by any stretch of the imagination this season, already down to kind of their second and third string quarterback. So, uh, you know, it, that that sort of thing might not end up happening quite as bit quite quite as much uh, moving forward. So we'll, we'll be on the lookout for that uh, starting next year, really, I think. Uh, Scott Dean asks, uh, any traction within the transformation committee to streamline Division One and or FBS with more stringent requirements? Well, that's that's kind of the the task at hand, uh, you know, certainly for the transformation committee. I, I was struck by what uh, where Greg Sankey told me last week in, in, in Las Vegas is, you know, true true transformation is, is not really the goal of the quote-unquote transformation committee. Um, you know, he, he was kind of pointing to that needs to be driven more for, uh, you know, potentially the new NCAA president from the Board of Governors, from um, kind of the, the higher level uh, beyond the transformation committee. But there will be some some unique changes, um, you know, I think, coming uh, once that final report hits in, in January. Yes, there will be some things regarding the student athlete experience, you know, how many trainers you have, um, you know, certainly the ability to offer mental health um uh, professional and, and, and services uh, to, to athletes. I think that's going to be some of those restrictions um, and, and requirements uh, to, to be in quote unquote division one will, will certainly be implemented. I, I, I don't get the sense that it's going to be some massive change to where we go through uh, 300 something division one schools. And, and that's going to get cut down to like, you know, 250. I, th- I, I do not get the sense at all. Um, you know, that, that, w- that is the goal of the transformation committee, nor is that going to be the outcome, you know, come January. Could, could a few schools, uh, be incurring some some extra cost. Yes, I think just about every everybody from the group of five on down is kind of expecting some some line items to be added to their budget, not just for the upcoming year, but I think the next couple of years. And let's face it, that that that's going to be good for 
uh, the student athlete experience itself. You know, they, they are going to benefit from, from a lot of these changes and um, see how stringent they are and uh, how quickly they can be implemented and uh, ultimately what the, what the focus is. But I, I, I do get the sense, um, you know, the, certainly the last couple of months. And, and then I think as we kind of draw closer, uh, just the, the amount of transformation um, is, is going to be a lot less than I think people were, were expecting once this was announced and, and all the fanfare. But although, uh, you know, to be fair, I, I know a lot of those members that on, on the committee are working hard. They are, um, you know, I think they're a little bit tired um, of, of things and, and discussing things and, and nitpicking uh, some of the de- details at this point. And so I, I know they are excited to kind of move forward and, and kind of get off this this committee or rotate off this committee and, um, you know, let let the less, rest of the membership kind of move forward with uh, some of the changes they have suggested. But, um, uh, you know, there, there's there's definitely um, some, some things that are coming uh, the way that the small schools Probably not going to be too happy about, but but ultimately they're they're going to get on board. You know, I think that's the the one key thing across college athletics is. Let's face it, you know, it it, it is a industry that is built to evolve and um, keep up with the times, and uh, you know, change when change is needed. And, um, there there will be some some tweaks here and there, but in terms of the actual streamlining of Division One or some some massive structural changes or s- splitting into a third division. I, I don't get the sense necessarily that we'll start to see that uh, come January when, when they ultimately uh, kind of roll a lot of this out. Uh, they're in San Antonio at the NCAA convention. Uh, celebrate we will. A lot of folks have talked about the inability of the two Arizona schools to recruit in-state as local talent has improved. Can Ke- Kenny Dillingham's appro- approach to building a staff heavy on Arizona high school connections work? He also asked, why does Ray Anderson have, still have a job at ASU? Definitely get, get, getting the sense there that uh, Will here is a ASU fan, and I, I will I will address the the second part first. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Ray Anderson not long for that job is is how I would, would kind of describe things. It did not seem like he was really heavily involved at all in the hire of, of Kenny Dillingham. Um, you know, I, I've said previously on, on this podcast, I think the ultimate aim is to get a new AD in there in, in the next um, year or so. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Ray Anderson kind of shifts over to the university side, especially managing some of the property stuff that they have going on there that they've been uh, trying to develop and, and create for, for I guess, I, I don't even know what the term is uh, formally off the top of my head, but kind of their athletics village and everything that's going on there. Obviously, the, the Coyotes are, are now playing at the ASU Hockey Arena, so there's a lot going on on campus uh, related to athletics that – you know, maybe Ray can oversee that that aspect is uh, a little less of the sporting side. I know ASU fans will be very happy once that day uh, finally comes, and be a, a bit of an interesting uh, AD job uh, that that would come open there. Uh, not only is it going to be in kind of the reformed Pac-12, but um, you know you you might have some some new media rights money uh, to play with moving forward, uh, given those deals. And uh, you know it is it is a unique market. As I, I think Will kind of alluded to there with with the talent, and and I think uh, you know Kenny leaning in on those ASU ties. He knows the area. He's from there. He went to school there. He he knows you know the the state of high school you know, uh, re- football recruiting there in in the state of Arizona. Really building a staff not just to help with those those ties and 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 keep some of that talent home, but I think just active recruiters. You know, I think that's probably been the biggest problem. I got decades uh, now, even though the talent in, in the region has improved, you know, the, the fact remains, you know, you, you got to go out there and you got to be at those high schools. You got to be making sure that a lot of those kids 
understand what the option they have there with with both ASU and U of A uh, down in Tucson. You know, there there's you know really so the last couple of coaches. You know, I, I think from from the top down uh, recruiting staffs. You know, they they just have not been able to kind of focus and you know make it a priority for for a lot of those Arizona kids. And you know, truthfully, it is a bit of a unique market. You know, this is a you know state that's uh, home to I, I think it's five of the top fifteen. Uh, fastest growing cities in in the country the last couple of years. Um, obviously, they've added you know three quarters to a million people uh, over the past decade. So it is a growing state, but that also means a, a lot of transplants. You know, there are certainly um, you know folks from up north, from California, from Texas that that are moving there. And so you know, there there's always that that pool uh, to kind of go back for for a lot of those kids. I know they experienced that. Something you kind of got to got to root against uh, a little bit if you're your ASU just to kind of stay home versus kind of going back if you know maybe they they move there from Texas you you, you want to go to a to a Texas school uh, at a high school but look they, they have a tremendous opportunity not just with the high school talent but I, I think in, in the transfer portal era U of A and, and ASU uh, should be massive destinations you know if, if you got a guy that's that's committed to to michigan maybe he's just not liking the weather up there in in ann arbor or east lansing or, or some you know somewhere in big ten territory uh if they can get him on campus through the transfer portal maybe get an ideal deal in place i i think u of a and, and asu can can both kind of clean up you know in, in, in the transfer portal and, and it, truthfully in a unique uh environment there in, in the pac-12 where Let's face it, without USC and UCLA, yes, everybody's kind of focusing on Washington and Oregon kind of being those two top dogs. But um, there, there's no doubt in my mind you can build uh, a sustainable team there and, and a team that can compete, maybe not necessarily consistently for the conference championship, but regularly enough where you can maybe make the college football playoff once or twice. And, and that could sway um, you know, the minds of, of some of those local recruits. So big challenge ahead for, for Kenny Dillingham. I think Judd Fish... Certainly on the right direction uh, with with the way he's got that program. He's got a big extension there, um, you know, that was approved by the uh, the board of regents. So, you know, things are moving in the right direction. I would say for, for both programs in terms of keeping some of that local talent home. But um, you know, the the connections that you make, uh, you you not only got to make them, but you got to you got to make sure that they are consistent. And, and you're getting out there, you're seeing high school games, you're seeing. Uh, getting guys on campus, you're, you're making sure that it is a, a a true option for for guys. And you know, I, I think the nature of high school football in Arizona has has improved significantly. You know, just based on what I've seen the last um, you know decade or so, uh, they they have made a, a huge amount of strides in terms, of especially that top end talent. And you know, you're talking about even finding some of the diamonds in the rough. You know, I think you can find um, some some pretty good guys there, um, not only in, in that kind of Phoenix metro, but but throughout the state as well. So. Uh, good times ahead, I think, for ASU folks, and, and I think what Kenny Dillingham, his, his approach to things, um, is, is is the right one. Uh, it's just all going to be how, how can you kind of assemble that roster and uh, ultimately win, win ball games on the field. You know, that, that's going to be uh, a big one there. So, uh, fun question there uh, from Tom. I'm not going to even pronounce that last name. Uh, favorite, basically, favorite coaching hire this year. Uh, you can kind of go a number of different directions on this one. I mean, how how could you not love Dion going to Colorado? I just just from a standpoint of we talk, I think between myself, between pretty much everybody, in it, whether national or local media, we've talked more about Colorado the last, gosh, week and a half than we have in a decade, maybe. You know, I, I mean, even in that 2016 run, um, you know, where they made it to the Pac-12 title game under Mike McIntyre. Uh, they they were still, you know, a nice story. Uh, you know. A, 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 
just not the story that kind of got national attention. Uh, you know, yes, it was interesting the Pac-12 Pac-12 fans uh, for for the Buffs to win the the South there, and, and I think Mike McIntyre got some Coach of the Year honors as, as well. But you know, the the amount of press just the last couple of weeks, um, you're from this hire, and, and you're going to get it consistently uh, from this hire. Um, you know, Dion is is all about Dion, and uh, he he's going to continually promote that program week in and week out. And uh, we'll, we'll see come signing day, ultimately how he does in terms of kind of getting some of that uh, talent influx. I know they're playing on that celebration bowl on Saturday. So uh, another primetime opportunity on broadcast TV to kind of showcase him and, and his team that he has there at Jackson state. And, and also uh, what he's going to be kind of be bringing there uh, to, to Colorado, but a uh, ton of energy uh, there are the program, maybe not my favorite necessarily, but uh I do really like that one, just uh, if nothing else, to, to try something new. And, and I think, truthfully, the, the way you can flip a roster nowadays, Dion, yes, there, there could be issues. If I, I, I can totally see some skepticism surrounding him working at the Power 5 model or Power 5 level. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, I think uh, with the staff hires that he's made, um, with the, the way things have, have gone just initially uh, since taking the job in terms of recruiting and uh, some of the names you're, you're hearing about in, in the transfer portal, the, the, the upgrades uh, that, that he's brought, the, the, not only in terms of attention, but actually on the roster itself, um, are going to be massive uh, you know, right away. And so I think that's, uh, that's good for the Buffs. It would be great to, to get some more trips out to, to Boulder because it is a, a great campus. And, and I think having that that factor of Dion there is is going to get guys on campus that that previously were never even going to consider Colorado and, and ultimately when they get out there you know that that that's going to be the great equalizer because uh, I, I think they will will end up liking what uh, what they see for the most part so uh big move for Colorado uh, give a lot of credit to them favorite coaching uh move though I, I I might go with Matt Rule at Nebraska you know I, I think that uh, Matt has consistently proven that he is a, a true program builder and he's done a fantastic job about that. And uh, I think he's he's going to get Nebraska back on track. Whether that is to kind of the level where we think Nebraska can get to, uh, I think that does remain to be seen. But um, in terms of kind of getting, uh, you know, showing the base level of that program and not only getting the bowl games on a, on, a, on a regular basis, you know, this is, this is going to be a program that I think will be a tough out in the Big Ten. You know, you, you look just kind of, I have guys like Jalen Petrie and uh, there for the Texans, you know, that, that he found at Baylor, you know, they even going back to those temple days, he found guys with speed, got them in good positions on the field. And, and I think he's going to be doing the, uh, the same there, uh, you know, at Nebraska, he, he certainly not had a well-resourced job. Uh, I guess you could say uh, quite like Nebraska. I think they've got all their ducks in, in, in a row in terms of making sure that program is set up for a, a, a good foundation for success. And, I think some of the issues that kind of plague them, uh, certainly under Scott Frost in terms of the culture of the program, how things were operating, uh, not just kind of the issues on, on game day, but really how everybody was kind of needing to move in, in, the, in, in the one direction. I think that will get uh, certainly changed and, and uh, fixed there under Matt Rule. I think um, maybe the, the ceiling probably a little bit lower um, you know, compared to some of their Big Ten peers, uh, especially with you know, probably divisions going into more of a one-divisional model. Not having to play the the Illinois and the Purdue's and, and and the Iowas and Wisconsin's more regularly, getting more of those crossover games with Ohio State. You get Michigan. You got more USC UCLA now. Um, you know, I think that will be um, you know make things a little bit more difficult for Nebraska. But that, I think there's no no doubt in my mind that this is a team that uh, you could at least be competitive. Uh, you know, in in the league and 
um, certainly kind of make some of those runs because if you're even if you're the third or fourth Big Ten team uh, on on a given year, chances are you have a decent shot at the playoff. That's just kind of how things are going to be structured with that uh, that twelve teamer, and and I I think the respect you know, that the Big Ten and the SEC are are going to get from uh, from some of those big brand names and from what they see on the field as well. So that would probably be my my favorite coaching hire. Luke Fickle, maybe a one A, 1A, uh, to that to that one there at Wisconsin. I mean. I, I think he's going to kill it there. Um, you know, I think you, you'll look at just in terms of fit. Um, there, there's a reason why pretty much every Big Ten opening uh, that's either come up or kind of be, been hinted at coming up, uh, you know, as, as mentioned, Luke Fickle, um, he obviously knows the league well, and uh, you know, he, he he's just a terrific evaluator of talent. I, I think the um, you know the offense that he's going to have with, with Longo coming in is, is going to be one of the more fascinating, um, you know, experiences, uh, certainly from, from year one, uh, moving forward, just to, given, you know, Wisconsin's brand and, and how they were so much about that kind of smash mouth and, and we're going to run the football. And that is not necessarily what, you know, Phil, Phil does like to, to run the football. Don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, development, the development of a, the passers and, and the ability to kind of throw it around, um, you know, when, when the conditions call for it, you know, it, it's going to be a bit of a change. And, uh, you know, you combine that with, with what, uh, you know, Luke Fickle ultimately knows on defense. Um, you know, I think that's going to be for one of the more fascinating experience. Um, uh, one of the more fascinating, uh, I, I guess, uh, um, experiences, uh, certainly in college football as, as we look and, and kind of move forward from that. Others, you know, I, I, I think Jeff Brom, uh, certainly returning home to Louisville is, is going to work out well. I'm uh, probably going to end up writing a little bit about this so on, on Fox Sports for Monday. So go ahead and, and, and check out the column there. Um, you know, I, I would say Lance Taylor at, at Western Michigan, somebody that can probably re-energize that program a little bit more. Um, I, I think pick up recruiting a little bit more. You know, the, the Broncos have kind of always recruited uh, pretty pretty well for, for a MAC program. I think uh, he'll, he'll be able to kind of elevate them on, on that front. Um, you kind of saw the the remnants there in his one year at Louisville, how they were able to get on some guys that uh, they probably were not used to uh, in in the past. And I think um, you know Lance will kind of bring that uh, at at a bit of a lower level uh, there to Western Michigan, but um, you know they they should have some success. And I think stylistically, you know, certainly they uh, what they were doing in the MAC compared to others is going to be um, something. Uh, worth following, Jamie Chadwell. I still don't understand um, how how some of the bigger programs have been able to snap him up, but uh, you know, good move there for for Liberty. You know, I think he's probably going to be um, winning a couple Conference USA crowns in a, in a row, not just because of the membership changes that they're going on to that league and, and Liberty coming in, but you know, the resources that uh, he has at his disposal, not only greater than what he had even at Coastal Carolina and, and Sun Belt there, but. Um, you know, I, I think for that conference, you know, the the gap there between them and, and their peers, and this is something that Matt and I have definitely talked about. You know, it, it's pretty pretty hefty, and I think even growing further uh, with, with this hire, Jamie Chadwell. Um, you know, there's really, I guess, uh, just just one FBS job uh, left open, and and that's Navy, which is obviously letting uh, Ken Niamatololo uh, go after all these years. And um, you know, I'm, I'm I think uh, a lot of people. Understandably so, uh, you know, respect Kenny. I mean, he, one of the great coaches, I think, of, of uh, college football and at the academy, uh, the all-time winningest coach there. Um, you know, tough to see uh, him go, but you know, truthfully, the results have not been uh, kind of what he or really the program have wanted these last couple of years. And yeah, we can probably throw the uh, the COVID year out, but um, it's it's a different job. You know, it really is a the Navy job itself 
it is vastly different from from early in Kenny's tenure uh, there. You know, you look, you not only have the transfer portal, everything going on there. Obviously, the service academies cannot utilize NIL at all. Recruiting restrictions in general make that a tough gig. Plus, you're playing in, in, in an American conference that um, is undergoing some changes. You, you got some new programs coming in, some some new programs in fertile recruiting territory that you know with with some big time coaches, some smart head coaches that um, you know, can turn around programs like an FAU coming into the league. Obviously, you have UTSA already rolling uh, there under Jeff Trailer. So, um, you know, the gig itself, uh, even with uh, some of the departures from from UCF and, and Cincinnati and whatnot. It's still going to be a very tough American, and uh, even even for all the stylistic differences that Navy brings to the table, um, you know that that's going to be an interesting search that they're going to have to uh, kind of wrap up here in the, in the next couple of uh, days and uh, close put put an official bow uh, on the coaching carousel. But um, you know, really that is a, a tough gig, and uh, going to be fascinating to see how the new person not only takes over for Kenny, kind of changes some things uh, there in Annapolis, but um, also kind of stewards. A, a very different uh, football program compared to pretty much any of their peers. And I think that would even include Army and Air Force uh, moving forward. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed uh, me going flying solo a little bit. Uh, didn't, didn't want to keep you guys too long. Hopefully next time around, uh, Matt Brown will be back with us. Uh, he, he is on the mend, uh, just just not feeling quite as good as usual. Got uh, got some stuff going on. We we're, I guess it's, the bowl season is already here. We're, we're going to get that uh, kicking off on, on Friday, on Saturday, we got the World Cup as well over the weekend. So uh, big, big times, although it uh, seems like it might be a, a bit of a down period uh, on, on the football calendar. It is uh, it is popping, as, as the kids like to say. I will be back with Matt uh, hopefully next week. If, if not, we, we might even be able to sneak in a, an episode on Friday if he's truly feeling a, a lot better and, and the voice is sounding a, a little bit less hoarse. But I uh, appreciate you guys sticking with me, and uh, be sure to use that promo code extra point. If you do want 15% off your first order on Home Apparel, I am Brian Fisher, and we will catch you again next week here on Going for Three.